0: You are not in the Machfield lately, you're not in the poetry gathering lately. Tell us, Rahi, where are you? I am on that cupboard catching dust with all the things forgotten. That is where I am.
1: Imagine a world without ice. Imagine endless blue. Imagine an absence crammed with extinction. Polar bear, penguin, walrus, whale, frozen oceans, where once you could walk from shore to shore. Thank you everyone for
2: being here today. This is what we at Ravani traditionally call a mehfil, which is a poetry recitation event in our culture. So, just a little bit about what to expect today. We have with us North Cumbria stanza, as well as Roundel, which is a stanza based in Kent. I'm very excited about this. We have been planning this separately in separate threads of conversation since last year now, and somehow the timings couldn't match. And I'm delighted that you know everybody's here today and we're all going to share poetry. Now, before I get into the nitty gritty of it and start to share the plan and everybody starts to share poetry, I'm going to share one thought. So in the last week, in the lead up to the event, when I was planning it, I came across this piece of news and it said something really interesting. It said that when people communicate and when people feel like they're on the same wavelength, they did scientific research about it and they found out that their brainwaves actually synchronize. And that is the science of it, to apply a little bit. A bit of conjecture and liberty and imagination to that. I thought it must be so much more beautiful when people share poetry with each other and connect with each other through that. And I really hope that today is one such day. I will request Kathleen and Margaret by turn to introduce their stanzas, the sequence of recitations. So Kathleen, you can go first.
1: Hello everyone. Yes, we're a stanza group based in the north of England in what's usually called the Lake District, which is a a region of mountains and lakes that's very beautiful, but also quite remote. So we usually meet online because we're divided by geographical distances. The Cumbria stanza members represented today are Kerry Derbyshire, who's a writer in the Lake District and currently doing a residency in one of Wordsworth's houses. We've got John Hunston. We've got Kenneth Wilson, who recently cycled all the way to Italy from Cumbria with a cello, giving cello recitals. <laughs> and we've got Sheila Brown with us and Josephine Dickinson, who's another of our of our members, all well-published poets. I think I've got everyone. Yeah, the six of us.
2: That's incredible. Thank you all for being here today. Margaret, can I request you to introduce your group and yourself and Sarah?
3: Well, good afternoon. Our group is called Roundville, and we're based in Tunbridge in Kent. We're quite a large group, so it's a shame that there are only two of us here today, but people have other commitments, unfortunately, on a Sunday. So I'm here with Sarah Davis, who has also been published in several magazines and anthologies, and has won a couple of competitions as well, I think, haven't you, Sarah? So that's about it, really. We meet twice a month now, on a Wednesday morning and a Saturday afternoon, and we also run a poetry breakfast, which is for people who enjoy reading poetry but don't actually write it. So I think we've got the town covered poetry-wise, and very enjoyable it is, too.
2: It's incredible, yes. And, you know, I've read Margaret's and Sarah's poetry. Margaret has shared one of the poetry books that they have published last year. And it's incredible. I really enjoyed reading, you know, so many of the poems and Margaret's and Sarah's in particular.
3: Yes, we produced the anthology to celebrate that we'd been running for 10 years. So it was a very celebratory anthology, which we all were very proud of.
2: Incredible. So thank you everyone for the introductions. For Ravani, the first two readers would be Shariar as well as Salma. Shariar, I will hand over to you. You can introduce yourself and share your work.
4: Thank you. Great. Yeah, I'm uh, an ex-advertising marketing guy. Currently, I'm working as the head of internal comms at the British High Commission in Islamabad. I guess I grew up uh, most of my life Early life was spent at the British Council, reading a lot of books, (laughs) everything from Tennyson to Lord Byron and all that. And then, of course, later on, I got into American literature. And so I write poetry from time to time. I also approach it as the song because I'm a songwriter. I sing and I play the guitar. So for me, it's the meter is very important. So some of that meter, some of that phrasing rather, I think uh, trickles into my poetry also, which is interesting because you have to do you, right? At the end, live my own time and try to write about things that are important. I guess the theme for this particular session is, I try to take these themes seriously, (laughs) was uh, darkness and light. And I figured, you know, that there are a few things that to me, darkness and light obviously connotes these two extremes that also complete each other. So when it comes to the human condition, I think It applies to the contradictions that we also juggle in our day-to-day lives. And I think that contradiction is good for art. Darkness balancing light and also light balancing darkness, I think. So hopefully try and speed this up. (laughs) I have three poems I want to share. So the first one is called Brain Fog Descending. I wrote this during COVID when I suppose I had brain fog. So it's called Brain Fog Descending. The weatherman said, brace yourselves. This year will sweep you off your feet. It took reality to hit home. Oh, about six feet deep. He warned us about flash floods pretty soon. Climate change was trending, but he didn't warn me about brain fog descending. I'm an extremist in love. I wanna see you happy. I wanna see you suffer. I want what's best for me. I want to feel perfectly empty. I want peace on earth. I want Putin to win. I want the afterlife. I want a return to original sin. Light balances darkness, but I can't decode the mixed signals you're sending. Focus is no fan of mine. How should we play out the ending? It's marching in like Siberian winds, brain fog descending. Thank you. That was the first one. And the second one was something I wrote. I guess we're all to some level nocturnal creatures. So this was written at 1 a.m. And I figured I should call it who I am at 1 a.m. It's probably the closest to who we are (laughs) at some point. I appreciate you for all that you are and all that you're not, what you show and don't show, what you say and don't say. You speak my language in silence, in a soliloquy. This is my world. Satellites don't navigate me. Maps don't fool me into thinking I'm actually getting somewhere. I am where I need to be. Here with you, here without you. So let's appreciate balance And even though you're spent, I like what you bring to the table, happy to pay the rent. Your presence, your absence, fills me in equal parts. A blinding light, a dark night, feeds into my blue, vacant heart. Something stops, something starts. I appreciate you taking out the time to read between the lines and guess what's on my mind. Nothing, everything, power, poverty, a definite, a maybe. Opulence, hunger, blue skies, thunder. I wish I was 10 years younger and you weren't divorced and nature hadn't taken its course and Eve hadn't eaten the forbidden fruit. Where are all the lies? Where is the truth? We're hanging by precious threads. We're dancing with abandon, your red sweater, and invitation. I feel original, but I was always an imitation. Snap, and this moment has passed. This is forever, this won't last. Chaos has no rules, how many can be preached to fools? I was uncertain, but now I'm sure. I was never really born. I'm a thought experiment gone a wee bit wrong. You were right. There was no blinding light, only the dark night and my blue vacant heart. This is where I make a hard stop, a clean start, the end. So that was the second one. So the last one is called the first time. The first time I met you, I was a close second I stepped into the shade, bided my time, till even time got away. Always gracious in defeat, I bowed out. My cameo did not win me an Oscar, get me into the Billboard Top 10, or earn me the Nobel Prize, or upset the bookmakers on Boxing Day. And winter became spring, and spring rushed into summer, and autumn wasn't far behind. What did we do with all this time? The first time I met you, I wasn't very experienced. My games were not as intricate like the ones I play today. So good at shedding skin, you called a cab and put it on my tab. We flipped a coin and I lost, I called heads, but what were the odds? I bit the bullet and the bullet bit back. A modern-day Comanche, I made a sacred pact. With spirits and sprites, you think you're out of jail, but not quite. The first time I met you, you wrote shotgun because you liked the view. You took in the scenery, wide-eyed, tongue-tied. The desert burnt, the carburetor hissed. I had barely enough money for gas, but I couldn't stop. You rolled in the sand, and the sand got into my seats, and in time, the sheets, and I can still taste that goddamn sand in my blundering speech. The first time I met you, I knew you were bad news, but I acted like I had nothing to lose. You sure knew how to pick him, swap, snap, out back, stomp, snatch, blow steam, low steam. so extreme. Sign here, punch that. Room service, minibar, camera number dosochar. That means room number 204. (laughs) The first time I met you, it should have been the last, but I'm the kind of guy who writes his own epitaph, just for laughs. Eulogizes, sympathizes, analyzes, moralizes, delivers punchlines like a quick one-two. Trouble with the ring is it's either him or you. This time I will be okay, live to fight another day. And you, you will vanish into the night, banished out of sight. Out of mind, the sun will shine for the very first time. Thank you.
2: That's incredible, Shariar. Shariar's poetry, I'm sure you've all heard the same, but it's incredibly visual. You see it happening. It's you know very, very powerful. And the use of contrast, light and dark is not an easy theme, but the way you've done it, the way you've managed it, it's incredible. Thank you very much, Shariar. I'll hand over to Salma now. Salma, I believe you'll be sharing a poem in Urdu and translating that.
5: Yeah. Okay, this I wrote, uh, I think it's not a new one, but it speaks of my mind and my feeling is still. And I will I have tried to translate it as well. I'll share that too. I'll first recite in Urdu, the complete poem. And then I will try to recite it, the sense of it in English, which I did just today before this meeting so that nobody misses their sense. So I'll recite in uh, Urdu first. It's very बहुत देर हो चली है सूरज अपनी हद्द समेटकर जा भी चुका है और अंधेरा धीरे-धीरे परिंदों के गीत चाट रहा है शाखी दरातों के बदल से लिपटकर गुमशुदा हरारत खोज रही है बहुत देर हो चली है बहुत देर हो चली है और बस्ती के सारे घर अपनी मुंडेरों पर रखे हुए दियों को बड़ी उम्मीद से देख रहे हैं मगर दियों की रोशनी उनके अपने साइज से आगे नहीं बढ़ बहुत देर हो चली है समंदर भी अब खामोश हो चला है और साहिलों पर हवा सर झुकाए सीपियों के खाली جسم झूम रही है बहुत देर हो चली है बहुत देर हो चली है हां बहुत देर हो चुकी है और थके हुए परिंदे मुंडों के रखे हुए दिए और खाली सीपियां खूब से पूछ रही हैं पूरा गीत गाने में एक उम्मीद बचाने में or So now, beside the translation, it's too late. It's late now. The sun has swamp, and the darkness is slowly sipping away the sweet songs that fill the evening air. The birds have flown and the branches are huddling the trees. Longing for some vanishing warmth. It's late now. It's late now and all the houses of that little valley are longingly looking at the tiny earthen lamps. Craving for some hope and light. But the light from the lamps too faint to kindle any. It's late now. The sea too is quiet and the breeze is gently caressing the empty shells. It's late now. Yes, we have lost time. And there are questions hung in the still air. The tired birds, the lamps on the wall of mud houses, and empty seashells wondering what took so long to fill the air with song, to save the quivering ray of hope and seashells early gleam. Is it too late now? Thank you.
2: Thank you, Salma. That's incredibly beautiful. The imagery in your poem, it speaks to the idea that you're sharing. I had, just to let everybody know, I had read Salma's Urdu poem earlier, and I was just thinking before I heard the English translation of this, that this should be, like, you know, there's just so much imagery and context to the poem. But now that I hear it in English, I feel like, Salma, you've translated that through very, very well, which of course is never easy to do. Translation is so hard, but thank you very much. This is... Thank you. Uh, Kathleen, I'll hand over to you now to have some of your, have two of your stanza members to read.
1: Yes, that was absolutely fantastic. I, I really enjoyed that. The first person who's going to read now is Kerry Derbyshire and I'll let Kerry say a few things about herself and her poem. Okay, well thank you and
6: it's just lovely to be here and so fascinating to hear the translation, Salma, as well. Beautiful sounds, amazing. Anyway, today I thought I would bring some poems from my landscape. So part of fairly remote part of Cumbria where I live and I just take inspiration from my surroundings mostly. So the first poem you all you need to know is that a helm wind is a wind that we get in March or February, March, April and it comes from the east and it blows everything and it's persistent and it never stops. So This poem is called Carried on the Helm Wind. How are we to know when seeds are planted in our heart? To know if seedlings are perennials, until years later, lying dormant, they return to catch you off guard one spring evening. The scent of bluebells, narcissi in snatches, carried on the helm wind, and your back, tearing open tiny packets full of wildflower seeds pouring the promise of yellow, blue and pink into the palm of your hand, learning the trick of mixing with sand to spread them further, imagining green shoots rising like tides to the swell of moonshine hours, flooding your neat patch of freshly turned
5: soil. That's the first one. This is about the fell where I live. I live under this fell and we've lived here
6: for a long time. It's called Song of the Fell. When you say fellside, a woodpecker drums spring into the gill. Curlews turn their tune inland on salt clouds scudding west to east, fast as a fox crossing high slopes where runnels of earth slip from lairs and winds begin to yellow the air. When you say fellside, an evening in summer swims out of my children's eyes as they race to the beck, where lizards soak up warmth from boulders, foxgloves guard sheep trods, firm as stone, where reeds lean in like old friends, and distance spreads a blue cloth. When you say Fellside, owls haunt low light, the first frost snaps at hedges of hazel and thorn. Snow steals boundaries without a second thought from high intakes at rest. Hollow nests, berries, shrivel, and all evidence of life before is squirreled under white. When you say fellside, celandines must be opening. A half-moon floating in a lake-blue sky, lifting sun, swallows, and flights of geese over windfell. Our bright steps climbing a new path to find watermint, frog spawn, primroses waiting for rain.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you, Kerry. That was absolutely lovely. For anyone not familiar with the Lake District, it was colonised by Vikings from Scandinavia for a long time. And words from Norse languages have passed into our language. We've adopted them. So fell was Viking fjell which means hill. A gill is a river valley. A beck is a stream. And a trod is actually a little path that animals make through the vegetation. So yes, a little bit of translation there. And Kerry wasn't plugging her book. She's got a wonderful book out at the moment called Jardinière. Thank you. Yes, sorry, should have explained a little. We take it for granted. People understand us when we speak and they don't always. And now Kenneth, please, who is the poetical
7: cellist. Kenneth. Thank you, Catherine, very much. Thank you. I'm very, very excited and so honoured to be amongst Urdu poets. Um, I don't speak Urdu. I speak a little bit of Hindi. And I used to exchange poems with a friend in Kashmir. She would send me her poems in Hindi and I would send her mine in English. And we would try to exchange, but I found it very difficult. Um, This is a villanelle. It's called The Refugees. We miss the smell of almond trees. And Huffis read on lover's seat. We miss the dawn-warmed desert's breeze. We miss the chew of charred sheep's cheese. The market's steaming beetroot's heat. We miss the smell of almond trees. The blue-tiled mosque, the sweet tea's ease. Spiced nights of hot, unmeasured meat. We miss the dawn-warmed desert's breeze. And now, at borders, strangers seize us roughly, scorn us our defeat, far from the smell of almond trees. Countries crossed in winter's freeze, backs bent, slow on bloodied feet, we miss the dawn-warmed desert's breeze. We miss those tiny earth-grimed knees, our children laid out on the street, Their souls now dawn-warmed deserts breeze. Oh God, the smell of almond trees. And the second one I want to read is a sonnet called I Built a House. I built a house. Its words were river-rounded, russet gray. I carved broad galleries and gently going stairs. The baths were deep, like the garden well and the red hibiscus. Rain-dark windows gave onto hills and purple distance. Pepper grew there and gracious moons. The house had music and secret whispering beams. Low-swept eaves sheltered it windward. Wood warmed it with scented stories. Dark, fiery silks lay about the floor. The house I built was old, and when I shut the door, I was as though unborn. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Kenneth. That's lovely. Back to you, Moniba.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Kathleen. And Kenneth, that was incredible. And Kerry as well. So I'll start with note to Kerry. That was incredible poetry, really felt like I was seeing the countryside. So yeah, that was brilliant. And Kenneth, thank you that I felt all the feelings that you said, I started missing the almond tree. As an expat or an immigrant, I feel like the way that you capture the feelings, it's intensely powerful. So thank you very much for that. Margaret, handing over to you for the reading from your stanza.
3: Thank you very much. Well, there are only two of us. (laughs) So, Sarah, would you like to go first with your two lovely poems? Thank you,
8: Margaret. Right, I'm going to read two poems that appeared in our Catching the Shards. Taking on board the dark light theme, I will start with the dark one and I will move to the light one. So my first poem is, was written obviously during the pandemic and it was inspired by the town where well, with all the shut shops and the empty streets and the general feeling of ending that there was at that time. So, The Last Taxi, winter, four o'clock. The town swells with children. They pool on pavements, then ebb away to homes where granddad no longer comes to tea. The high street, never quite open, closes. Mannequins pose in last year's style, colours no one will ever wear to pubs or bars that are haunted now by the sweetish smell of long forgotten drinks. The late night bus runs empty its driver a shadowy charon behind the wheel. He casts his white-eyed stare at sleek rats, made bold by the quietened streets, to scuttle from the deserted station where no one waits for the London train. Night stains the sky above the rank where cabbies once plied their trade to party-goers and late commuters. Mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, all gone, their destinations reached. Tail lights spark red, an engine coughs, the last taxi has taken its final fare. So that's my gloomy one. And my other poem is partly inspired by the Kent land landscape. It's called Coming Home. And I don't know if anybody else feels this, but you go around the place and you think, oh, I would like to live in that house there. Oh, what a lovely place this is. And you have, I've had fantasies about having homes in wild places. However, Coming Home. I thought it would be like love at first sight, as passionate and as sudden. I would crest a hill, lose my heart to a cottage on a quilted heath, its roof rising from the purple moor, or to a salt-rhymed house at the world's edge, scarred by gales that yowl from the sea. Such a home would wear a lover's face, a wild affair in a mystic place. But now I stroll with you through knotted woods in amber light beneath the leaves, where tracks are worn and paths are steep, to orchards set in ordered staves that sing their apples to the sun. Here, like twisted trees, our roots entwine, my home is revealed in your familiar face. In a long marriage, it unfolds with grace. Thank you.
2: That's incredible, Sarah. really, really enjoyed the two. The first one definitely made you feel all the gloom that COVID and lockdown had. And the way you transport us from place to place in town to show how everything's at a standstill. It's really showing through very well. And the second part, it's delightful. I I think words would be insufficient. So thank you for that, Sarah. All right, so it's back to Ravani. We have Nadir and Rafay with us. Nadir, I request you first to read your poems and of course introduce yourself to the group.
9: Everyone, my name is Nadir, and I've been writing poetry for a while now, primarily inspired by Urdu poetry, which is mostly the rhyming variety, which we learned in school. And later on, also the English ones I that caught my attention were the ones which predominantly would rhyme. So what I have written and what I would be reciting here is something along the same lines. So Muniba, I told you about one I'd be reciting, but I came across another one, which I thought would go with the dark theme. So I hope that's okay.
2: Yeah, sure. Absolutely.
9: So this one is titled The First Night, and it goes like this. It was right after the month of Feb, the winter having eased into an ebb, his shock slowly turning into denial, a creature quite alien to this web. A bottle of water for a pillow, lay in a room by an old willow, hundred bodies in a horizontal pile, each thicker skinned than an armadillo. A rapist he engrossed in small talk as his anger went out for a walk, as all 51 shades of guile began enticing his writer's block. Bargaining disrupted by the dinner, better serving for the biggest sinner, While he could not help but smile. All this and worse, a sure shot winner. Still dazed, he too filled his plate. After some 11 minutes of wait, with what wasn't food by a mile, yet he silently sat down and ate. Depression? Yeah, it came stalking. Of murders, till morn they kept talking. In his head, he began to compile the acceptance no longer shocking. And though, it has now been a while. These thoughts come knock, knock, knocking. So that was the first one. And this is the second one. This is more of something coming from the darkness and moving towards the light. It was a strange feeling. Yet I gently kept peeling. Very careful not to tear. Proceeding layer by layer. A bit of skin each time. No screams. It was a mime. I met arrogance and pride, sheepishly set them aside, then some anger and hate, immense was their weight, Them and some other evil, remnants of past upheaval, I continued seeking the good, the other road in the wood, over time we all do spoil, I too found after much toil, empathy and love tightly clung, hope and compassion strung to this, the innermost part, not very far from the heart. Emanating a bright light made me wonder if it might still recognize who I am, amidst all the mayhem. With its help I dug a cavity, after sizing this depravity, burying my ego in that hole, I leapt, embracing my soul. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Nader. Brilliant as always. Very good. The first one, it was incredible. Very, very powerful. Felt the gloom that you tried to show, and the second one, I think it's a great psychological analysis and shows a lot of psychological powers. And the progression of that, I think, is very well captured in the poem. So, thank you, Nader. Raphael, I'll hand over to you to share your poetry and, of course, introduce yourself.
10: Thank you. I am Rafiz Zuberi. I am also a career marketeer, almost a 20 years career in marketing and advertising. I have been uh, writing poetry since a very young age. Today, I have just picked two poems, one from a very early stage of my poetry writing, and one is a new one. One is in English and one is in Urdu. I'll try to keep it within my five minutes. The first one is it's a tribute to all the travelers and adventurers and photographers like mine. It's a personal journey, but it's a tribute to all the travelers and adventurers and all that. Its name is uh, Me and My Wanderlust. I keep on chasing sunsets in this pretty planet of ours, discovering God on its crust. Will it ever be satiated? Me and my wanderlust. I reach the source of waterfalls, explore the dawn of mighty deserts, scale the deep blue trenches, spoke over the Hyde Park benches, ran a train, missed a flight, the wrong bus, will it ever be satiated, me and my wanderlust. I met the wise men at the village sale, hugged the guide on the mountain trail, drove jeeps to the edge of the earth, traced galaxies on the falcon's hearth, all bullets of the bucket list are a must, will it ever be satiated, me and my wanderlust swayed on the greatest dance floors, knocked on the ancient doors, kissed the holiest shrines and stones, sailed through the wildest shores. These photos will never gather dust. Will it ever be satiated, me and my wanderlust? I keep stretching all my bets, ever changing the beach mats, keep updating my tees and hats. I keep on chasing sunsets. This love will never rust. Will it ever be satiated, me and my wanderlust? Thank you. The second one is in Urdu. I haven't formally translated it, so I will give it uh, give us quick sense of translation in later. Its title is "When You Love Somebody." <speaking> in the darkness, let him shine. Let him dance in the scents. Let him soar without fear. Let him go wherever he wants. Let him meet the shores. Let him walk on soft sand. <language> समंदरों से मिलने दो किसी नौखेस कली की मानंद आहस्तगी के साथ आजादियों में खिलने दो जो वो चाहे किसी उड़ते बादल का हिस्सा बनना उसे उड़ते बादल का हिस्सा बनने दो बारिशों सा बरसने दो जो वो सोचे हसीन रंगों से रच के सजना उसे बाहरों के रंगों को भरने दो उसे सजने दो जो वो समझे कि वो हस्ती से बुलबुल है कोई Chamander Chamanusco ornedo, Hasnedo, Ganedo, Jova Chahe Sunnedo, Jova Chahe Kenedo, Jova Chahe Banedo, Jova Chahe Carnedo, Agar Chahe Husco, Ye Bathhe, Kari. When you love somebody, set her free. So I will try to read a quick translation of this, although it will not be a very formal translation, but just to give a sense. If she wants Let her shine in these shadows. Let her grow in her fragrances. Let her fly in the unhindered breeze. If she wants to meet the magical seas, let her walk on the soft sands. If she wants to be a newly glowing bud, let her bloom with freedom. If she wants to be part of a beautiful clouds passing by, let her flow with the clouds. Let her fall like rains. If she wants to dress her up, in beautiful bright colors. Let her fill up those colors of springs. If she thinks she's a tiny bird, let her fly from garden to garden. Let her hear what she wants. Let her say what she says. Let her do what she does. Let her be what she wants to be. If you love her, then this is fair to say, when you love somebody, set her free. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Rafi. Incredible. I think it's an incredible tribute to love that you've shared over here, to the true freeing kind of love, and also incredible tribute to travel as well, going around the world and enjoying, really feeling the different places that you visit. It's incredible. I think it was a very good, light-hearted set of recitations from you. So thank you. Kathleen Alhan, back over to you for the two recitations from your stanza.
1: That was amazing. I'm absolutely loving this getting to hear so much poetry from so many different places. It's fantastic. It's, I drew names out of a hat for this, so it's me next, and then I think it's going to be Sheila. So yes, I'm a writer living in the Lake District, and I've spent a lot of time living abroad. I lived for many years in the Middle East, and then in Africa, and then in New Zealand, and in Italy. So I'm a bit of a a nomad, really. But this is where I was born and this is where I belong. Um, I write a lot of poems about the environment and my concerns about the climate crisis. And this is called, Imagine a World Without Ice. Imagine a world without ice. Imagine endless blue. Imagine an absence crammed with extinction. Polar bear, penguin, walrus, whale, frozen oceans where once you could walk from shore to shore. Now imagine the absence of cool. Imagine having to imagine the drip, drip of glaciers or icebergs, the size of a hundred Titanics. Imagine the absence of a language for this, frost, flow, glacier, icicle, Arctic, the Inuit variations of snow, the absence of flake, blizzard, drift, white out, and the present tense of the verb to ski. Imagine the lack of glitter, frost patterned glass, the creak and crack of winter puddles. Let me keep the last splinter of it trickling through my hot fingers as I write. And the second poem I'm going to read is about really about maintaining relationships over a long distance. And it's set in at Gate 21 of Wellington Airport in New Zealand. We made a, had a, a big thing about not saying goodbye ever. So we never said goodbye. And this poem's called Not Saying Goodbye at Gate 21. The final call for boarding. Hand luggage scanned. The last forgotten canned drink binned. I watch him through the glass. Walk to the door and hand over his printed pass. He waves, makes the clown's face that means, cheer up, this time I won't be gone for long. He turns, then turns back, lifts one hand to the terrorist-proof glass. We place, palm to palm, remembered skin on either side of the cold surface. Abruptly, already past tense, He has wheeled off towards the journey and, unlike Orpheus, not looking back, I watch the swerve of his head, his coat flap. Then the screen says, gate closed, boarded, and I walk away with his absence. Thank you. Now
11: I'm going to hand over to Sheila Brown, please. And here I am, yes. I live in Cumbria as well. I've travelled and worked all over the world, especially in the Middle East, and but I've come to live back in my native homeland, as it were. So I've got two poems here now. The first one is Uncertain. Thoughts of the ending harder to shake off now. They arrive with a clink of milk bottles on your step at dawn, or in a flutter of moths from the pocket of that winter coat you can't throw out. It seems hold on, but the cloth's too threadbare to mend. Thoughts that appear as you reach for the memory of spent breath, preserved in ice on childhood's bedroom windows, in a house no longer there. Today, such thoughts wait in a heart that sometimes, as if to demonstrate, skips a beat, but starts again leaving you wondering if, after all, the ending might be a lie until the screech of a fox pierces your sleep. And the next one is Making a Jisai, which I don't know if you're familiar with Japanese culture at all, but they do a poem to say farewell to life. And it's called a Jisai. This is not an elegy or indeed a eulogy, or even an epitaph. It is green tea and rosemary thoughts, a recipe for broken hearts, formed from words constructed with a pen. It stands silently, watching, a crepuscular cat waiting to welcome you, like the vermilion tory gate in the green virgin forest by the Prussian blue sea where verse is chiselled as the shrine. Using rhyme as sunlight dappled through a tree, subtle, useful, beautiful, real. Joints cut and fitted without nails or glue, sculpted just as it is, honestly. It shows the impact of storms, restless winds beating, stirring pines, as moonlight reflects on the mirror pond for the last time as cherry blossoms fall. The crane flies over rice fields and the fishermen. All nature has poems to share. Trees, moving grass, sand, wind, water, fusing and flowing outside human interference. Thank you. Thank you, Sheila.
1: That was absolutely lovely hand back to Manuva now.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Kathleen and Sheila. I think both of you have just shared some very, very powerful poetry. Kathleen, especially the one, The World Without Eyes, that was incredible. And when you spoke about the absence of language, it just brought it to life. And everything you said subsequently, it just brought it to life. Very real kind of a way. So that was incredible. And Sheila, as uh, you as well, the goodbye, the sense of goodbye, particularly in the second poem, it was very strong. You could see, feel all of that imagery and almost a slowing down towards a stop kind of feeling that flowed through the poem. So thank you both of you. Margaret, over to you for your poem.
3: Thank you, Maniba. My first poem is also from the, the anthology that we produced last year. And my first poem is called The Other Mrs. Lot." I don't know how familiar people are with the story of Lot in the Bible, but um, they had, the family had to leave their home and the deal was that they shouldn't look back at the home that they were leaving and the town that they were leaving. Mrs. Lot couldn't resist a last look back at her home and her memories and she was turned into a pillar of salt. So that's briefly the story. So my poem is the alternative. It's about someone who doesn't look back. The other Mrs. Lott. It wasn't hard to walk away from rooms where anger buffeted empty air and grief was pasted into every wall, where memories were layered in a jar with salt, like beans from summer glut. She ignored the voice at her shoulder, coaxing her with promises of sun-veiled cherry blossom, evening shade of vines. She chose not to turn, let her crusted eyes glance at faceless windows staring out from a slowly melting void. She welcomed exile, the relief of rooms where nothing happened where she could kill the invasive weed-like past with boiling saline. Throw salt in the devil's eye. But that's my first cheery little number. My next poem reflects very much on my childhood home. Well, my background, and I was brought up in a very strict Roman Catholic family I also went to Roman Catholic schools from the age of five. So my life was really dominated by the Catholic Church. I grew up in a very happy home, although religion dominated. And of course, I was a questioning spirit. But this poem is called Duende, which is a Spanish word that means the atmosphere of of a place. Duende. There are no atheists on the battlefield. My father was living proof of that. So, the first Epiphany after we moved to our new semi, the parish priest was invited to bless the house. He anointed the front door, sprinkled holy water around every room. My parents hung a picture of Pope Pius on the sitting room wall. We never missed Mass on Sundays, holy days of obligation the Stations of the Cross at Easter. Questions about the Immaculate Conception, the Resurrection, weren't up for discussion. I kept those to myself, saved them for the inner sanctum of my room as I ploughed through the Catechism. What is God? God is love, I chanted, as eyes drift towards the garden, hemmed in. By the thick privet hedge, my father had planted. So those are my two, Munipa.
2: Those were incredible poems, especially the first one. That line where you said the relief of rooms where nothing happened, and it's almost like you've just shown a very different perspective to this so well, and the second one as well, especially how you how you've ended the poem, hemmed in by my father, my father's words. Was it if I do it correctly?
3: It's by the privet hedge that are around the garden, feeling oh, of... Being...
2: that he has grown. Yes, yes. Yeah. Incredible. Thank you very much. Incredible. Thank you. All right. Now we move to the sequence of recitations where we do North Cumbria and Ravani alternately. I believe, Kathleen, you have three more readers and we have two more. So I'll hand it over to you to go first.
1: We actually only have two readers as well, but. One person couldn't take part. Um, we've got John Hunston and Josephine Dickinson. So, John, you next, please.
12: Hello. Thank you for letting me join this group. I have to make a correction to the introductions that were made at the start. I am far from being a published poet, <laughs> as might have been suggested, and I have two very short contributions to make. The first one is called Wearable Words. The words came out of her mouth on a silken sheath that only she could fill, thin-skinned as a lily. He, of course, spewed out a tweedy suit, complete with viscose lining in puce and puckered handkerchief. They were no match, but attraction lies elsewhere, not in clothes or even words, but rather something pure as singing birds. And the second one, which is rather bleaker, is called The Egoist. I lay me down upon the spiny thorns of your irritation. I am martyred on the cross of your crossness. I am bruised by your brusqueness, a line crossed. So here I stay stuck in my bucket of self Unable to grow, unwilling to heal, unfeeling and slowly unveiling an inner that's shrinking, shriveling. I pick at it, wondering what's missing. When did I begin to mislay my heart, to think that a good substitute could be a cold spleen? That's
2: Incredible. Thank you very much. The imagery in that, as well as the second poem, how you, how you describe being confined almost by the presence of somebody else that comes through very strongly so thank you very much and I do look forward to a time when you are published and I'd love to you know read more from you and hear from you more. All right. So from Rabani, there's myself as well as Daniel. Daniel, why don't you go next? So I have been telling everybody a little bit about Daniel, who is based in Italy, but has an interest in Hindi and Urdu poetry. So Daniel, over to you. Share your story. Share your poem.
0: Thank you for the introduction. I'm very happy to be here. My name is Daniel. I'm 25 years old, and I recently graduated from SOAS University of London. I recently came back to Italy, but I really miss England a lot (laughs) Uh, surprisingly enough as Muniba mentioned I arrived in Urdu and Muniba had asked me to share a bit also about my language learning and how this happened and I really was always a bit of a language nerd since high school and I was passively picking up some Urdu and Hindi through Bollywood which I used to enjoy a lot but I think one turning point for me was really the pandemic because I was stuck in a student apartment with Urdu grammar for self-learners and an amazing anthology uh, to an and introduction to Urdu literature, which is called A Thousand Yearnings, and I highly recommend it to anyone who wants to approach Urdu literature. And so I started like writing poems and especially ghazals as a sort of practice almost. Ghazals are usually considered the equivalent of the European sonnet. And today I think I will share two ghazals. Okay, and I read it, first of all, in Urdu. I'll only one go, and then I will read it. I will translate it in English. Votara tab se chamkila, votara to nehi hume. Votara tab se chamkila, votara to nehi hume. Usandhe re ufukhpa, koya koya sa makin hume. Badata hu kadam apna, badalta hu batan apna. BADHATA HUN KADAM APNA BADALTA HUN VATAN APNA MAGAR YA DROK KE GAMGIN RAASTE PAR RAKH NASHIN HU MAIN JAHAH CHALTA NAHI KOI SAFAR KERTA NAHI KOI JAHAH CHALTA NAHI KOI BAYABAN BHI ULISTA NAHI WU ZAMIN HU MAIN Khamoshi ham zuban meri, khabi ham safar meri. Khamoshi ham zuban meri, khabi ham safar meri. Darun kiun gum rahi se, gum rahi ka ham nashin hume. Tum ahvil mein nahi shamil, batara hi, kahan hai tu? Tum ahvil mein nahi shamil, batara hi, kahan hai tu? Okay, thank you. Thank you, everyone. A translation in English would be that star brighter than all. That star is not me, unfortunately. Lost on that dark horizon, that is where I live. I hasten my steps, I change my country. And yet I'm still stuck on the sad path of my memories. There were no adventures and there were no one travels. The desert and that garden, that unknown land am I. Silence speaks my language and ruin, destruction travels along with me. because Urdu poets are always very unfortunate and very tragic. So I had to make destruction travel along with me. Why should I fear being lost? When lost is my travel companion, and then Urdu poets usually approach themselves at the end of the ghazal. They use the tachaloo, that is a pen name. My pen name is Rahi, which means traveler. And my last couplet in the ghazal is, "You are not in the mehfils lately. You are not in the poetry gathering lately. Tell us, Rahi, where are you?" And I say, "Gubara luda se ke I am on that cupboard." catching dust with all the things forgotten. That is where I am. So this was my first ghazal, and this is from last year. Izbaya Sejahanme me sari rahe ajnabi, Chalteheme Refugan <laughs> rephugan ye meiri ahe ajnabi, dasht me avaregi, aflaak me beganegi, ham safarsi sirf taru ki negahe ajnabi, Sailata hai shahre dil mein har kahi par intishar. Hamla karne aate hai ke si paahe ajnabu. Ham kiu jayen, ey diwano, hushwaaloo ke daiyar. Ham kiu jayen, ey diwano, hushwaaloo ke daiyar. Hush ki joh hai panahe, ajnabu. Rahikode kode rashnaasa ek Okay, In English, the refrain, as people who are not familiar with the Ghazal might have noticed there is a that is a word that is repeated uh, throughout the poem, and uh, in this case it's which means foreign, stranger, alien, and what I say is both poems are actually a bit gloomy, I just noticed. I think I broke the only rule that there was for the event, but never mind. In this desolate world, on all these stranger paths, go my lamentations, go my laments and my stranger sighs. There is vagrancy and wanderlust on earth and alienation in the skies. As my fellow travelers, I only have the stranger gaze of stars. Chaos, turmoil spread in the city of my heart. They have come to siege me the foreign armies of grief. Oh, crazy ones, why should we go to the land of people of reason? The refuge of reasoning, the refuge of the senses is a refuge unknown to us. Rahi, one day death will embrace you like a long lost friend. But for now, I am squeezed by the stranger arms of life. And these were the two poems. Thank you. (laughs)
2: That is incredible. Like, it's not easy learning a language, let alone writing poetry in it, and let alone getting the grip of, you know, how the poetry flows, being able to translate it, to recite it like you have. I think it's nothing short of incredible, I'm sure. And I can see from the comments that there's a lot of people who are equally impressed. Just because Daniel's journey is so unique, uh, right before we hand it over to Josephine to read her poems, if anybody wants to unmute themselves
10: and share a few words with Daniel, it would be nice. I'm Rafi. Daniel, Thank this you. was absolutely amazing. First of all, your first ghazal, especially many of our Urdu poets struggle to write in such a rhythm. So this was really, really special. I loved it. And please allow me to share your story to a lot of my friends to, to inspire.
0: Them. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.
11: I just want to say, Daniel, it was inspirational. Thank you really enjoyed that thank you thank you so thank you again daniel and thank you everybody for your
2: feedback on this okay jules Fin over to you now
13: hello it's good to hear poems in Urdu. I love the music of them. I live in Cumbria, but uh, the area of Cumbria I live in is very different from the Lake District. It's over the mountains in a high valley Austin moor, and it is a different um, geology completely. It is heavy granite stone worn by millions of years of erosion. Whereas the Lake District Mountains are formed by volcanic activity with deep valleys and jagged mountains, here we have rolling and a much bleaker landscape. So I thought I would first of all read poem to share a little bit of the atmosphere of where I live. Silly Hall. Here in the silence, above the black water, the flecking foam, the sandy mint. most Days I walk to Silly Hall and peer inside. Once I heard the crack of the hammer, once all movement in the shadow, cool in summer. I did not stay, turned back through the wrought iron gate on the deer track, swimming causeway, parting high thistles over the bridge. Bleegate, Garbury Hill, where, in the breath, before the wind, trees stands in silence, under the tree there is always the hidden, and the more hidden, there is always water rushing towards water. For my second poem, I'm reading a more recent poem, I am totally deaf and I became profoundly deaf at the age of seven night, totally deaf, suddenly, again, 11 years ago, actually. I have a cochlear implant, but I have a very, very limited sound through the auditory pathway. I must confess it was a bit of a shock find there were no captions. It did create difficulties for me. Anyway, I know that captions are easily available. So this poem is called According to Hugh Davis. There's this boy I sat next to, Hugh Davis. The catchphrase at home was, according to Hugh Davis. We sat at the front. He helped me comprehend what was said, wrote it down or spoke it clearly. Teacher didn't like it. Miss McCreech. Tall in willowy cashmere. Silk chestnut poem, Maybe 50. Strict used phrases like, she's deaf, but she could manage if she tried. You'd hear me if I said, here's a five pound note. This poem would be good if it was about what I said, but not except ironically, according to Hugh Davis. One day she told us to stop talking to each other, sent me to the back of the class alone. Kept me there the rest of the year. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Josephine. That was incredible. First of all, I would apologize for the lack of captions. The oversight on our part. I wasn't aware of it earlier, but I'll make sure that we have all accessibility provisions in our meetings from now on. And thank you for sharing your incredible story and your incredible poems with us. The way you feel the nature around you, it's it's very apparent in the poetry and it's very, very powerful so thank you very much again for being here today i guess it should sound to me then so the first of my poems is called the sandwich years now the sandwich years in this context refers to that stage of life where you're cushioned between responsibilities and so on and and everyone's experience with that tends to be different and this is quite contextual in this case i'll read it is the sandwich years there ought to be a feast let the chef season the good meat and vegetables fresh from the garden pick. The long tables were the best plates as laid but the diners, they're all stepped out, waiting around the plant that really should bear fruit, any time now, and their hands and pockets shall be full, as if from the spoils of a busted pinata. In the sandwich years, you feel it, dad, crushed. Like a crumbled, mist and medley of spice, belted fiercely between mortar and pestle, all like a speck of leftover butter on a tenth of a teaspoon, passed down carelessly over a large loaf. Still the sandwich years, they expect the BLT, but the aroma is charred toast. The second batch, fall apart bread. The filling defrosted vegan mince, served with a side of faded pickle, and seasoned scotch that just won't roast. Perhaps they're better off growing their own crop. You, you promise to be a rock. But quicksand's the best you ever got. Their seeds don't grow. No one looks to you any more. Water from an empty cup can never be poured. And a sieve, pickle, knows only how to let go. Eat the sandwich years, but the meat you fry sizzles in the pan like a thirsty man in a vast desert land. Overcooked but raw. And specks of grease jump around and fly faster than you can stir in coffee beans. Some bouncing out to chaw, the crackle creases in the back of your hand. So you gulp down coffee to soothe your soul. The dinner bell sounds, droplets of oil pop louder than on the ground land. The pan trembles in your hand. The meat is now tougher than before. But time, it doesn't ever wait or slow. Unthinkingly, and on the cup you pour, the mind's alarm bells louder now resound. Buzzing like they do, every time the phone does, or does not. All right, so that was the first of my poems. And the second of my poems is on a recent world event. A lot of my poems tend to focus on the diasporadic experience, as I like to call it, or on social injustices that I see around me. And a very vast, a very massive one that a lot of us were witness to in the recent weeks was the boat tragedy. So here it goes. It's called A Teardrop in a Vast Sea. They were warned of the choppy waters and the rough seas, but they said they've lived their lives neck deep. Many a mighty boat lives in the ocean bed, but they say, at rock bottom, we've been born and bred. Traffickers say they're not to blame. Migrants are aware this is a risky game. Not on us, say the coast guards, doing as we're told. To think they'd be welcome here, that's mighty bold. For some boats, burn boats, return boats, are ever applied with little hope, and yet somehow they still seek the boats. Desperate to escape the lands of no bridges, ablaze lined with trenches and ditches, pining for the boats, praying for the boats, paying for the boats, till one day they're called to a boat, lump in their throats. Then, crowded on the boat, mocked on the boat, locked on the boat, for oxygen they choke, no water for their dry throats, except when a flood of it gushes through. For people of boats, there's no choice but to sink or float. The waves may wash somebody's ashore, of those for whom the doom boat was the closest thing to home they'd ever known. A teardrop disappears into a vast sea, perhaps in heaven the angels weep. So that concludes it, those were my two poems. And now that we're at the end of the session, thank you for your kind words. Uh, Now that we're at the end of the session, I'd invite a few of you, whoever wants to share a few words or thoughts after this, particularly Margaret and Kathleen. You can take the lead and then if any others from your stanzas want to join, that would be great.
1: Thank you, Manuva. And thank you for arranging this, because it's been absolutely wonderful um, to hear new poets, new poems. It's just fantastic. And I loved your poems. And I'm really glad you wrote the poem about the boats, the, the refugees, because that I think everyone here would feels very, very deeply. Thank you. and Thank you to everyone.
2: Thank you, Kathleen. Margaret, over to you now.
3: Just to echo Kathleen's comments, really, I've really thoroughly enjoyed the the morning. It's been a a wonderful experience to share people's poetry and the different cultures from which the poems have evolved. So it's been a great experience. And thank you very, very much for organising it.
2: Thank you. The pleasure's all mine. This was
5: amazing. I think that we are creating a community, which is like, you can say that there there were so many poems talking about the climate and emotions and the misery and the hopes and the fears. But I think this whole session is, it's like a heart and it is really rejuvenating the emotions that is not just for us, for the whole of humankind. So this is a space where each one is breathing, not for oneself, for others. So in that way, superb. Can I just say I've so
6: enjoyed this and meeting you all and hearing voices from across the world. I always mm-hmm. find it incredibly moving and I've really enjoyed it. It's just fantastic to hear the language, the rhythm, voice, place, everything that sort of evokes so much.
11: Thank you very, very much for everybody you know that's been involved. It was great. Thanks to all of you who've made it here today. It's ultimately down to all
2: of you who've contributed your different experiences, shared your poems, the different contexts. It's quite interesting to see that even the poetry from England has, from across England, has different use of language. And, you know, different imagery as well, based on where people are, your previous travels and everything. It's been incredible. Thank you, everyone.